Tommy, how you doing? I'm doing fine. You're looking mighty good. I, I know. I just coordinated and I see you did too. It, it, of course. You're always, always wearing blue. I know. You are. You are. And yeah. you have the golf logo. I yeah. give you a hard time about the golf logo. I think we need I to know. move away from the golf logo at some point. It, it's a little painful for me. But that's okay. Yeah. All right. So um, today we are talking about the topic of lenses and seeing with new eyes. Um, and specifically, we're going to talk about the tent through which we view the world. So for those who are just listening, how is the world looking to you right now? Um, I mean, I think you look good. I, I think you look good. I mean, a little, a little green. I would say a little green. I'm feeling environmental with my green. How about you? I'm feeling a little blue. You are? Yeah. <laughs> Tommy, you're never blue. You're like the least melancholy person I've ever met. If I'm ever okay. feeling melancholy, I can hang out with you and there's a lift okay. right there. So. All right. So for those who are just listening, uh, we're both wearing glasses. You can check it out on YouTube because we have a YouTube channel going on now. And we are really looking good. Uh, yeah, we are. This. But there is a point to all of this. And I, I think I'm going to have to take mine off because I'm looking at the notes you gave me and I can barely read them without glasses. We, chicken scratch. So I'm going to take them off. You could try the yellow ones. Okay, I'll try these. Okay. All right. So I love this idea about lenses. Oh, much better. Seeing with new eyes. Um, tell me what got you thinking about this and where, what do you want to share with us today? Well, I think this is a, a, a great, uh, broad concept that can help shape the way we think about all of the things, mm -hmm. our own personalities, our temperaments, uh, situations we encounter, relationships we're in. And I think one of the things that I've become aware of as I've done a lot of coaching with people and just helping people over all the years is that virtually everybody has a particular lens on mm -hmm. a, a way in which they see everything and it casts a particular color on everything that they do. So you find people who are, uh, let's just say they are always negative. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't even know they're being negative about things, but they see everything through a lens of negativity. Or you can you get the opposite extreme. People who are just these flaming optimists, and you can talk about the worst situation in the world, and they're immediately spinning it to something that's just absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. And... It's a lens by which we see things. And the more I've spent time with a variety of people, I realize that I'm the only person in the world who sees with clear glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, that's a really good point. Because yeah. <laughs> the whole thing about this lenses thing, I mean, I think most of us have understood the concept of we have... A, a biased lens, or we observe other people having a biased lens through which they view the world. Right. But all of us think that our own lens is accurate because we've been living with it for so long. And we're, when you, when you have a lens through which you see the world, 
you will be able to find enough evidence to support that lens. And and let me give you an example. So one of my children was going through a developmental stage where he or she, I'll say that, (laughs) so we can't pin down which one it was, um, was feeling down about themselves. And he or she said, mom, I'm your least favorite child. And I thought about that because that is a, a, a lens. That's a story that this child, this young child was telling himself or herself. And I thought if they wanted to, they could find evidence to support that thesis throughout their life. If they kept those glasses on exactly, and, and every time something would happen where I would reprimand the child or make them do a little bit of extra dishes or something, it would just reinforce that lens. So like it would just sort of solidify it on their face. Whereas just as easily another one of my children who I should, who shall not be named is always convinced that they're the favorite child and everything that happens reinforces that view. And so there's this idea of that we all have a lens. We don't know we have it. And what we think is we see clearly. Well, exactly, because we think we're seeing objectively and we're not acknowledging the fact that everything we experience, we are interpreting. Yeah. And we're interpreting it through a lens that that we have on. And so certain people can interpret everything as being against them uh, or any number of things. And certainly certain lenses can be uh, more destructive than mm-hmm. other lenses that, that people may have, but we all have lenses. And that's, that's one of the, I guess, the hopes that I would have in just raising this topic is that those people like myself who think I'm the only one that has clear lenses Mm -hmm. would realize, no, you've got lenses too. Right. And because these overall lenses with which we see are on all the time, it colors everything. So you're wearing yellow glasses now. If you kept those on all the time, every color, that you see around would have a yellow hue to it. Mm-hmm. Eventually, if you kept those lenses on all the time, you would think that yellow-hued item was really the color mm-hmm. of that, but it wouldn't be true. And so as we can begin to acknowledge that, and then we can begin to say, okay, I have to acknowledge as part of that, that I'm blind to my own lens. Yeah, that's step one. Having the awareness that you or me, like every other human on the planet, we're not the only person that's not wearing a lens. We're not the only person that sees clearly. Yes. Um, And I think that that's really important. And I also think, Tommy, that's kind of one of the roles of close relationships in your life, whether it's a spouse or even your children. I'm getting to the age where my children are reflecting back to me some things that they would prefer I change about myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, we have family members for that. We have close yeah. friends for that. But there's a way that um, people mirror back to us or even in our work environments. If we're willing to look the world, the universe, our, our, the structures, the systems, the families we're a part of are telling us some things about ourselves. Yes. The problem I find is that if the the universe, the world, the structures we're a part of are telling us something about ourselves in a critical judgmental way, 
we will shut it off. We won't receive it. But if we are lucky enough to have people who are lovingly mirroring back to us a more accurate view of ourselves, then we tend to be more willing to absorb it, to receive it, and to be shaped and changed. But most of us don't respond to judgment and we won't, we're not really willing to change in that context. But in the context of love, I think we can, we're more likely to take the lens off and look at things from a different perspective. Yeah, exactly. So part of this, uh, part of this particular podcast is to, to get over the line to recognize that we do have lenses on. And then the other part that I'd like to kind of get to is what are some intentional steps that we can make to help uh, heal us, if we want to say, mm-hmm. of those faulty lenses that we have on? How can, and you mentioned one, is, is good friendships. But there are several different things that we can do that can help us see better. And that's what this episode is about, helping us to see better. Or if we want to mix uh, metaphors, we could say, how can we begin to frame things in a healthier way that perhaps we frame with a particular color on? Uh, So if you you took an amazing uh, painting like the Mona Lisa, let's say, Mm -hmm. and you put just a really cheap frame around it, it would distort the beauty of the painting itself. Mm -hmm. And so how we frame things that we experience and that we go through and people that we encounter is critical. And all of this stuff is the, it's, it's the meat of what makes our days and our experiences good. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the uh, content that enables us to experience joy, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. So that was a huge piece of uh, Weezy and I's intentional efforts when we were going through, you know, incredibly difficult things. And then I'd take it even a step further and say that I believe this seeing with new eyes is the substance of faith. It's the substance of what God desires for us mm-hmm. is to see with his eyes. And when we see with his eyes, we see everybody around us differently. We see our situations dramatically differently. And we begin to move um, in a way that brings good to all around us. So, this is both kind of the uh, the ultimate self-improvement tool, mm-hmm. but it's also uh, a place for tremendous faith growth in us. I appreciate that too, because I think sometimes we don't feel like we are surrounded by relationships um, that can mirror back to us how we are in a loving way. Uh, and maybe because we haven't been doing that to those people either, but the thing that faith offers us and the story of the Bible is one that we can always go to. And if we look at the story of the Bible and not necessarily with maybe if we've been raised in a church environment that's very judgmental or there's this mean 
you know, condemning God, we, we might have to take off those lenses. But if we look at scripture and we find this message of love that God shows us, then we're able to see ourselves in a new light, even if the people around us don't. And that can be, I mean, there are so many stories throughout history of people waking up to the love of God in their lives. And it is utterly transformative and it has nothing to do with the way other people view them or their circumstances. No. It's, it has to do with them seeing themselves in light of a loving God. Yeah. So let me, let me just throw out a few examples. Um, you know, not that this is the center of what we're going to talk about, but I, I, I think it's uh, just so amazing. I think the very thing of seeing with new eyes is one of the reasons Jesus taught in parables. Hmm. Because if I tell the story of this incredible loving father who never gives up on a prodigal son. It enables me to see God differently. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus in Matthew 25, he talks about uh, helping people who are poor and naked and in prison. And he says, you know what? As in as much as you do something good for them, you're doing it to me. In essence, he was saying, I want you to see these people through new eyes, to see me in those poor, naked, downtrodden people. Mm -hmm. Seeing with new eyes. One of the stories I love, um, I'll just read a couple of verses because uh, it's powerful. It's seeing with new eyes. This is uh, kind of a little random passage from Second Kings. And it's a story about the prophet Elisha mm -hmm. when uh, the Israelites were going into a battle. And so Elisha is in a conversation with his servant. Um, and it says, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So Elisha prayed that the servant could see what was truly the case, and that was that God had surrounded the entire place with masses of angels and armies that were so much bigger than this, you know, outnumbered army that he was seeing. He, he was saying, you have eyes to see the way God sees. And so I just think this is uh, an amazing way to begin to reframe, not just that we need to take off a faulty lens, but that there is a lens of love and grace and acceptance and truth that we can put on at the same time. I have to, I have to follow up with that story with, cause that, that's an old story. It comes from ancient literature, but it's a really powerful story, and I, I want to follow it up with something that's happened recently to me because it, it speaks to how we can reframe the way we view our own reality by using the Bible as a as a as a tool. 
So recently, you know this, but my my mother passed away and we've had some it what has felt like a lot of crumbling circumstances, difficult circumstances happening after my mother died. And I tend to sometimes put on the glasses of discouragement, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I probably have like multiple pairs of glasses, like, all right, I have some discouragement glasses. I have some like self-critical glasses. I have some not good enough lenses, you know, all of that. So circumstances were lending themselves to me putting on discouragement glasses because the circumstances were going so badly, just like the servant in the in this ancient piece of literature looked out and all he saw was the enemy surrounding the city. Right. And, and it makes sense to be discouraged if you're surrounded by too many soldiers, if you're overcome by your enemy. Sure. So it made sense for me to put these glasses on. But what I did, it's a practice that I've been doing for years, is I I woke up in the morning and I started writing down some things that I'm grateful for. It's one of the practices I do when I'm feeling discouraged. And then a friend called me and shared that exact story about the angel armies. And she said to me, Patricia, when you go through your day, just know that you're not alone, that I want you to see that God is surrounding you in hidden ways with his angel armies. So I was reading that, and then I, I I opened the Bible, and I came to this verse that said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Wow. So I felt that verse was so powerful, it gets better. I felt that not only was were my eyes being opened to God supporting me, but I felt like God saw me. Like I saw God. And God saw me by giving me this verse, by, by like showing me that I see that you're discouraged, but don't be discouraged for I've overcome the world. So then I have to get in my car and I have to go to the bank to work on estate settling. And I walk in and I'm overwhelmed with this because I'm not an estate accountant. I'm not a lawyer. You know, I have no skills in this area. And I walk in and the banker is this really sweet lady. And she's helping me and making it really easy. And I look and on her windowsill is a little painting. And what's painted on this windowsill painting is in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. Oh, so I had, I had this in this very clear way. I felt like God, wherever God is in the universe, this like esoteric thing, entity person that we can't touch just kind of broke into reality and and my eyes opened just for a little bit in this unbelievable moment of faith and awe that completely reframed my reality, my mood, the way I approached my day. I didn't go into it discouraged, feeling alone and overcome by my circumstances. I went into it feeling like I had angel armies around me and I had my eyes open looking for it all day long. And and I think that speaks so powerfully to what you're talking about is like having this awareness to see what pair of glasses you have on that day, recognizing we all do it and questioning, is this true? Are these glasses true or are they, are, do I need to take them off and reframe? Gosh, I love that story. Thanks so much. I mean, that's just, that is powerful. And what, what I love in addition to just the clear way that I believe God entered into your situation mm-hmm. was how that 
was coupled with some very clear practices that enabled you to see with new eyes. So you didn't just wake up discouraged and out of the blue these things happened, but you went through some very specific things. You you journaled. Mm-hmm. You went through a gratitude process. You went through a beginning and an effort to renovate your mind mm-hmm. to overcome that. Then you had a friend who was the kind and the quality of a friend who could speak very specifically knowing you into this. And then the scripture on top of it. And then God added icing to the cake with a circumstance that said, yeah, and Mm -hmm. I'm right here too. So it was the combination of things. And that's the type of thing that I think if we can incorporate intentional practices that help us acknowledge, confess, if you want to say, the faulty lens with which we are, which with which we so often see things, mm-hmm. and then take these steps, we can actually become different people mm-hmm. with these practices. And we be- can become people who, who do truly see with clearer lenses. Yeah, and, and I think I learned these practices by doing it the wrong way for so long. Like I would wake up in the morning because I, you know, I try, I'm raised in a faith. I, that's part of the work I do, but I would sometimes wake up in the morning and have this time where I was apparently supposed to be praying or having this spiritual meditation. But really I was just reinforcing my discouragement because I was thinking about. So it's, it's almost like we have to go so far down the path with our own faulty reality or delusional reality, whether it's self-criticism, discouragement. I think we should, after I say this, I think we should go through some of the various lenses that we tend to put on. But it's like you have to take it so far that you feel the, you feel the burn of it, the pinch of reality of having this faulty view, this bad lens that makes you want to form a correction. So out of those mistakes, I had, I have developed kind of a routine that works for me. And other people might be different. Other people might not need to do that. They might need to go for a walk or they, you know, everyone is different. But I think it would be helpful for us to talk about some of the different lenses that we tend to put on and as a way for people to begin to think, maybe do I do this? Yeah, and just before we do that, because you just made me think about this. When we have a lens on that is uh, a faulty lens, it colors everything that we see. So I, I love you. You brought the example of, of uh, a prayer into it. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a good practice prayer. But because you came into it with a faulty lens, you, in essence, skewed prayer into just another way of reinforcing your lens. And so I, I think of David Dwight's said in sermons, are we praying or are we just worrying right. in, our pray, in our prayer? And that's often the case. So, you know, you've learned to identify, no, that's not actually what I'm trying to do. And so you practice uh, gratitude. Well, and I think, I think some people 
their lens through which they view God is one where they think God looks at them like I'm a screw up and I'm not ever going to be good enough. And I'm, God's always disappointed in me. So I don't pray at all because why would you want to go talk, you know, be enter into prayer with, with someone who, you know, is looking at you in judgment. Yes. So, I mean, even mm-hmm. recognizing prayer is a great thing to think about. Like if you are willing to be a prayerful person, what is your prayer life like? Is it encouraging? Does it lift you up? Does it lead to good, quote unquote, fruit in your life? What does it tell you? What does it tell you? And if it isn't, if it, it like mm-hmm. for me, if it's just kind of reinforcing discouragement or reinforcing self-disdain or reinforcing whatever negative pattern, then maybe it's time to reevaluate how you pray. Um, right. Or if you don't oh, pray... Really? At all. Your lens. Or your lens. Yeah. But if you don't pray at all, it, I think it begs the question, um, do you have a lens through which you view God that is not really accurate? But if we don't pray, we all think, you know, we all have patterns of thinking. Right. So let's do get into that. Okay. So what are some of the lenses that you think people tend to wear? Well, the the number of lenses are much broader than uh, what we will talk about, but let's just throw out some kind of some broad categories. Mm-hmm. So if you were to ask people, um, you know, are you pessimistic or are you optimistic or are you realistic? Um, of course, just like I have clear lenses, I'm a realist. Right. Everyone um, thinks they're viewing it. Yeah, because whether they're very pessimistic, they they actually see things as they are, actually are. Right. So I think it's always helpful for someone to try to identify in that in that range from being a horribly always negative person to it being a Pollyanna optimist. Mm-hmm. Where do you fall in that range? How do you tend to view all of the things that come your way? So I think that is a form of a lens mm-hmm. that people have. I think people have uh, what I would call a controlling lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, their very first thought in any circumstances is, how do I get control of this? Mm-hmm. How do I control this situation? Which often has a very protective mechanism. How do I keep this from blowing up and, and creating havoc in my life. So it, it's a cautious protection type of thing. Mm-hmm. I think a lens that um, can be very problematic for people is the perfectionist lens. Sure. Um, where anything less than perfection is terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, and... So some people who have perfectionist lenses apply it only to themselves mm-hmm. and are fine with everybody else, you know, going about their business. But no, I have to do it exactly right. And some people extend that perfectionism to their environment and to everybody around them. And they think, well, it's only reasonable mm-hmm. because that's what their lens has told them. It's this is the way to operate, and anything less than that uh, will end up with a ruined life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are so many people who have a fearful lens on everything 
that they experience is a, a threat. Every person, new circumstance is a threat. And so they look at it to say, is it safe for me to do whatever the situation is? Mm-hmm. Um, cousins to that is anxiety. People who are operating with a perpetual sense of anxiety. And in their minds, that anxiety is always warranted. It's like what you, what you were saying earlier. They Because they interpret the circumstances and they're going, well, this could be really bad. Mm-hmm. This could turn terribly bad in just a moment's notice. And if you say, well, you know, the chances are they won't, but they could, mm-hmm. they could. They interpret everything that way. Worry is another uh, type of lens. One that I also see with a lot of people is guilt. Yeah. The moment someone says something, they immediately turn it back on themselves as something that they are to feel guilty about. Sure. And Or somehow if they'd done it differently, it wouldn't have turned out the way it did. So it, it sort of comes back to you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a self-blame. Right. It's a self-blame. Everything. You know, this person went through that. Well, do you think it was because of something I said? Right. No, that's not likely at all. Well, but, you know, that's their lens. Well, and and I think all of us have picked up this way of viewing the world for good reason. Okay. So I think if you have a fearful approach to certain areas of your life. And when something happens, you're hypervigilant about not letting anything go wrong or hyper-controlling or maybe prone to anger or um, prone to self-judgment. We come by these things for good reason because they have served us and protected us in our life. But there comes a time where they no longer are serving us, they're imprisoning us. They are impeding on our ability to flourish and, and grow as a human being. And what I have learned, Tommy, is that when we begin to identify the lens through which we view the world that is faulty, that is skewing our reality and is impeding and, and causing problems in our relationship, we cannot judge ourselves for them. But what we right. can do is notice the pervasiveness of this faulty view. And when we notice it, and when we notice the way anxiety, worry, anger, um, perfectionism, fear shapes and imprisons us, when we begin to see its power over us, it loses its power. So noticing, not judging, is so important in terms of disempowering these faulty views and these faulty lenses in our lives. And that, and that becomes a real challenge, particularly for someone who's wired to already beat themselves up. Right. Because the very recognition of the lens, it's like, yeah, you know, that's typical. That's yeah. what I do. And so somehow in order for us to get better, we have to be able to um, name that lens mm-hmm. without judgment. Because as you said... There are tons of very legitimate reasons why we have become who we've become, things that we've experienced, hardships that we've gone through. Uh, So there is no judgment in there. 
in this. There's recognition, and in that recognition, we can hopefully move forward. And I would go so far to say that I don't think we can accurately name the lenses that we are wearing without other people. I, I think we can get close, but a great question. I had a professor ask this me one time or ask this of the class. Who do you have in your life who can tell you honestly something about you and you would believe them? Like, mm -hmm. like, we all have people in our lives and our families who maybe complain about certain things and we resist it and we say, oh, no, that's your problem, not mine. But who do you have? What relationships do you have in your life who will tell you something and you would believe them? It's loving enough. They know you enough. There's enough understanding that you would receive it and receive it in love. And I don't I mean, not many. I don't think we're meant to have many of those right. relationships, but even one is really an invaluable thing. And to have the bravery to go and ask them, help me see what I'm missing here. Right. Uh, absolutely. And I, I want to come back to that just to reemphasize that. I remember uh, in high school, I was a, a lacrosse goalie and our coach at the time, was a good coach, but he didn't play lacrosse. I went into our lacrosse team with a chip on my shoulder that I knew more than he knew. And so therefore, I discounted basically everything that that he said. And I remember after practice one day, um, standing in the hallway, and he looked at me, he said, Tommy, if you would for a minute begin to take the thoughts and the advice of someone else there's no telling what you could do. Hmm. And it was like this massive slap across the face that I realized, man, I have been such a jerk hmm. and a jerk at my own expense. And yeah. it was that truth that was spoken. So I absolutely think you're right that we have to have other people in our life. There are other things that we could do, but ultimately we probably need other people to take some of those first steps. Okay, so let's get into that. Or, or let's move and transition into some of the things we can do. So one of them is having other people in our lives who we will believe, who can mirror back to us some truth. What else? I actually, well, I want to step back on that because oh. I think that's, that is too big a deal. I mean, I think we're in a culture that, has that kind of relationship is so rare yeah. that uh, we're missing out tremendously on an opportunity. And so what I would want to ask of anybody listening is, do you have multiple people in your life that can and will speak truth into your life? about who you are. Certainly the other side of it is that you are willing to be open and transparent with so that they can speak truth into your life. Mm -hmm. And what I would say from my experience is that a spouse is not enough hmm. for that. A spouse can be one of those people, but we need people beyond a spouse that can speak truth into our life. 
So the way that should look, I think, is that we have certain people that are those truth tellers, Mm -hmm. our confidants that we meet with on a regular basis that creates the soil, the place in which truth can be spoken. Mm -hmm. If we just have those people and we're relying on them out of the blue to call us and say, you know what, you just happened to be a jerk that day. That's going to be too far and few between when that happens. Mm -hmm. So to have those people and to create that place and that space that you can have those kinds of quality conversations and that you can be that for them, I think is one of the most powerful, life-giving, transforming practices that we can have. And it is very rare. So my encouragement would be, if you do not have those people, begin right now a commitment to say, I'm going to find those people and I'm going to create those spaces mm-hmm. in my life. Or begin to look for them. Yeah. Or ask, even pray for them to to start to come. You know, I think that's something we can ask for and pray for because it's such a good thing in our life. I think God wants that for everybody. Yes. And act on. You know, sometimes we just need to act on. We need to say, well, I don't really know this person particularly well, but maybe we need to just, you know, go grab lunch together Mm -hmm. and explore. So it, it it takes some courageous action along with kind of the reflection and the prayer. Okay, so uh, creating a relationship or cultivating a relationship, what else? Um, I think along with that, a regular practice, what I would suggest is a daily practice of self-reflection. Journaling is a great form of it. I know journaling can be um, very intimidating for mm-hmm. people, but I think if we if we go into journaling with freedom, uh, I, I called it in one of my blogs doodling. You know, if we go into that with a lot of freedom to just say, I'm going to take some time to reflect on how I'm feeling right now. I'm going to take some time to reflect on what happened yesterday. I'm going to take just a moment to reflect on what's ahead of me. It's a way of uh, self-reflecting and perhaps catching ourselves, kind of like what what you were describing with the discouragement. Um, And I can just think just in the last two days in journaling that I had to acknowledge, you know what, I'm really tired and I don't feel like I have the energy for what's ahead this day. And in that journaling process, I was able to recenter, mm-hmm. and in that recentering, prepare myself, and in a sense, identify that I had a little bit of a lens on that morning. And so that journaling practice is tremendously helpful, and it doesn't have to be much. I mean, it can just be a, a paragraph or something that you happen to write, or it can just be a few words, uh, or a few things to acknowledge, you know, I'm going to be grateful for this. So it can look like all sorts of things, but to create that space to reflectively look at where you are in a moment, I think is 
tremendously helpful in beginning to see with new eyes. Well, and I also know that the way our brains work, we don't always learn from experiences. We learn from reflecting on experiences. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So it's a it's sort of a double loop. Um, you know, life teaches us things, but we we double down in our learning when we reflect on them. So I, like I said earlier, tend to I don't journal because journaling often lends itself to me reinforcing the lens through which I'm looking. So whether it's worrying or fearfulness. So that's when I, when, when I recognized what my lens was, I, I thought about what's a practice that would be different from that. And I do bullet point lists in my, Great. in my journal. Yeah. And I, you know, I go through my day from the, the day before and I think about everything that went well. Every, and, and because I have active faith, I think, where did God show up? and bless me or surprise me. And sometimes it's as little as like, I noticed the sun on the flowers, or sometimes it's as big as what happened to me at the bank, you know? Right. And what's fascinating is a lot of them really great things happened the day, but the day before, but I had forgotten about them. And so I almost get the double boost. I get the day before boost of something great happening. And then I get the the neurological dopamine happiness boost of remembering it. And it's become something that I really look forward to, even though I don't think I'm prone towards gratitude and I don't think I'm prone towards tons of optimism when things aren't going well. Yeah. It's really helped shape and cultivate that in well, me. What I love about that example is it began with your identifying even imperfectly the faulty lens sure. and saying, I'm going to create a corrective to yeah. that. So that is, uh, I think that's that's great. How much progress could all of us make if we identified what's my kind of primary go-to negative lens that I put on and what is a practice, a reflection practice that I can do to help counter that. So it's just so perfect. Well, and another one I'd love to bring up, because I, I know someone who is so self-critical, like everything that comes out of this person's mouth is so self-critical. And I find it sometimes it ends up being critical of other people, because that's what we do. When we're self-critical, we end up being critical of other people, um, is to do the practice of compassion, self-compassion. So if you review your day before and you think of all the ways that you are criticizing yourself that you should have done better, I could be better at this, I'm not good enough at this. We have the opportunity to reframe and list form how we view those things. And the thing that I found helpful is to, you mentioned this, is to imagine someone else viewing you, like imagine a really loving person in your life. Maybe it was a grandmother, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a life coach. Or you can even imagine yourself as a little child. Like, we would never talk lovingly to a child who's making a mistake and say, um, you know, that was a terrible effort or I just expect more from you. But you would be right. encouraging, you would be understanding, you would see them through these loving eyes. And if we can step away from ourselves and offer ourselves self-compassion, right? Um, I mean, I think faith is a great way. How does God view you right. with tenderness and love? But um, the bullet point I find to be really helpful in terms of stopping our thoughts from from running away, um, from you exactly. know running away with us. Yeah, the uh, the therapy method is called dialectical behavior therapy. Right, 
And the idea behind it is when you catch yourself doing something that, you know, beating yourself up, to immediately imagine your best friend doing the exact same thing, what would you say to that friend if you saw them doing the very thing that you were just doing? And most often, we would immediately offer them compassion and grace and encourage them to be easy on themselves. And so if we catch ourselves every time we're going down into this rut and imagine our best friend going down into that rut, what would we say to them? We can begin to reflect and see our own behavior for what it is. And inevitably, you'd say, well, I would never want my friend to say that about it. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd say, what are you talking about? That's terrible. You know, you're not that way. But yet, we need to offer ourselves that that same practice. Yeah, I love that. It's it's um, it's not hard. It only takes a little bit of time. But when we see the way we're prone to bend, yeah. uh, offering a reframe, a dialectical behavior yeah. therapy, I think that's great. So a, a third practice uh, that that I believe in a lot is uh, I read the Bible in such a way that I hope for it to be a mirror on my own life. That is, as I read certain things in the Bible, I get a sense of the way life is meant to be, the way I am supposed to see things with grace and mercy and love. And it helps shine a mirror on the way that I can be. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, um, I've been recently going through Psalms a lot, and I love Psalms. One of the things I noticed as I was going through Psalms is how often in Psalms the psalmist takes time to praise God. And I thought to myself as I read that, I went, you know, I don't praise God very often. I'll thank him for things, but to praise him, to say, God, you are just so great. That was not a practice of mine. And so I began to incorporate in my early morning prayer to say, I'm going to begin with praise. It reframed my whole spirit as I began to do that. But I just used the Bible as a mirror of a way a better way that I can be. Mm-hmm. And so other great literature could could do that same type of thing, but it's a way of, again, renewing, refreshing, renovating our mind into a positive direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are just a few things. So we talked about being in relationships that will get you there. We talked about uh, some journaling and self-reflection and and to have some sources that can speak into your life. could be some podcasts. It could be different things that you read that would be good. From there, I want to take one other angle on it that I think uh, could be particularly helpful, and that is to identify in your own life places in which you are stuck things that are not working out in your life well. 
um, you don't know what to do. And to begin to consider that perhaps the reason that you're stuck, that this situation is not going the direction you want, is because of a lens that you're wearing. That you can't escape. As you said, I'm a prisoner Mm -hmm. to my lens. I find that that is often the case when people are let's say in in business or work situations that they're very stuck in, it's because they're stuck with a certain lens that causes them to see only one way. Mm -hmm. And that only one way often ends in a dead end. And so they are stuck and they can't see any way without taking off the lens. I see that happen a lot in relationships where a relationship gets stuck. It gets stuck in this repeat mode. And that repeat mode is because either one or both are looking at that relationship with a particular lens on. So there's a movie, uh, I taught a year-long class on marriage uh, years ago, and there was a movie clip that I used at the very beginning of it from a movie called Addicted to Love by Matthew Broderick, Meg Ryan. I'm long, sure I've seen it, but I can't A long time remember. ago. It opens, uh, Matthew Broderick is an astronomer extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's in this big lab with something, it's like a Hubble telescope mm-hmm. type of thing, and they're, they're looking out and they're seeing the wonders of the universe, the most magnificent pieces of all creation. And they're all in just wonder and awe of this. And all of a sudden, someone says to him, it's time. It's time now. And they immediately begin to take this massive Hubble telescope and turn it around and point it down at the ground to his fiance. And they all go, oh, that's the greatest. Oh, because he's in love with her, so yes. they want to see her. They they, yeah. want, they know he wants to see yeah, her. And yeah. She's always at this park at, at this, this time, time of yeah. day. And so it was this reframing that the greatest thing in all the universe is a person yeah. that you look at. And my daughter's uh, senior quote is, to love another person is to see the face of God. Mm. And how that begins to reframe it. And so I, I started off this, the Sunday school class and said, suppose we could have a new lens on mm-hmm. with regards to our spouse. Mm-hmm. And we could begin to see that our spouse is the most precious child mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. And how could that reframe a relationship? So these are just some ideas. And so this idea of seeing with new eyes is as broad and comprehensive and expansive as all of our experiences are. And I think this is where amazing life and joy are to be found as we can begin to identify these horrible lenses that we have at times and say, there is a better way. There's a 
better lens to put on uh, that is a life of lens, uh, life of love. So mm -hmm. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life mm -hmm. and life in the fullest. And I think that's what all of this is about. So I hope some of these thoughts have been helpful, encouraging, because God is a God of encouragement for us. Well, uh, I, I like my yellow lenses is the thing. They're pretty good. You, you know? look pretty good in them. Yeah, I think I, like I might them. keep these, try and get rid of some of the other lenses. But all right. Well, thank you, everyone. I love this idea. And um, maybe we'll uh, bring some different lenses and props next time. That's great. Thanks so much. <laughs>